Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that post the next. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I believe there are a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts. John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it is the highlight of Kenny Florian's week. The Anik and Florian <laughs> podcast. Monday, July 29, 2019, episode 211. And if you saw Ken Flo rocking that Instagram live over the weekend, you know he is keeping it high and tight of late. This has got to be a Clark Florian initiative, keeping the hair this short. It has to be. It has to be. <laughs> you know, it's it's hot. It's getting hot, dude. I, I was on the East Coast, and it was hot as hell out there. And I, the lettuce was long, and I said, you know what? I got to cut this damn thing. I'm doing a lot of training lately. It's hot enough having pajama tops with the kimono. So right. I, I, right. Had to, I had to cut it up top, man. There's a jujitsu angle, of course. Yes. There's yeah. a fucking jujitsu angle, but that's okay. <laughs> no, I've always sort of had this obsession. I've been shaving my head since I was like 15 years old. Uh, right. I'm always telling people, you know, Zach Candido, our producer, it's like, dude, keep that hair short. Looks good. <laughs> looks great today. So uh, a lot to get to today. Obviously, UFC 240 gave us a lot to talk about. So we will get into that here shortly. Ray Longo coming up in about 12 minutes and a couple picks on this UFC fight night. Covington versus Lawler. Don't forget, this fight card Saturday, August 3rd from Newark, New Jersey, 3 p.m. Eastern time for the main card. So uh, combat and coffee this weekend. But let us begin with Max Blessed Holloway 
still the standard upon which all featherweights will be judged here moving forward. Uh, he beats Frankie Edgar by unanimous decision, 50 to 45 times two, I believe 48, 47 from the dissenting judge. A lot of layers to this fight, a lot of angles to it. Not the greatest championship fight in the world, but it certainly had its moment ke- moments, Kenny. I went back and watched it this morning. And I think as the fight was going on, uh, maybe at times it felt closer. Watching it back this morning, I can see why two judges had it 50-45. to 45. I think Frankie Edgar had his moments in the fight. Um, but I did think it was a clean sweep uh, upon second watch for Max Holloway, who did not have a scratch on him and uh, emerges with his third successful defense of this undisputed title. Uh, I agree with you. I think there was maybe a, a round that was close-ish. Uh, but uh, I have no problem with the 50-45 uh, scorecard. You know, anytime we're breaking something down and we're coming up with a prediction, um, you know, especially in this kind of format like we do here at the Anakin Florian podcast, you know, um, you have to go on what you've seen so far. And we had never seen Max Holloway go against a high-level wrestler anyway. And I think Frankie Edgar would certainly qualify, you know, being a Division One wrestler, wrestling at the ability that he's shown in the UFC and in prior years and, um, you know, getting a lot of big wins over the course of his career. Um, I wasn't sure. You know, could Max Holloway stop the takedown? Yes. Have we seen him go against another high-level wrestler? No. So a lot of times you got to go on what you've uh, seen in the past, and that's why I, I went the way of Frankie Edgar and uh, all that experience I thought was going to be a problem. But Max Holloway is just as tuned in, as, and it didn't matter what range Frankie wanted to fight him at. Max Holloway was just superior, and then it seemed like he got bigger and bigger as the fight went round. Like round by round, Max Holloway just seemed to just grow in size. Yeah. Max, Max Holloway just always had an answer, was able to keep Frankie Edgar on the outside repeatedly, and when Frankie did get in and ha- it was pretty deep on a single, a double, or a body lock, Max Holloway had an answer yet again. So this is a guy that I really see holding onto the belt for a very long time, and I know Volkanovski said he saw some vulnerabilities in his game, but man, I don't know if there's anybody out there at 145, uh, you know, as far as the Volkanovskis and, and the other guys that are in the top five that are going to beat Max Holloway right now. So size matters, right? We always talk about it when John Jones fights. And for me, it's always a starting off point whenever we talk about John Jones in the light heavyweight division. I feel like Ricardo Almeida's primary criticism, Kenny, of Frankie Edgar was that he just wasn't aggressive enough with the takedowns, right? Mm-hmm. In terms mm-hmm. of the specific entries that they were looking for, single sure. leg takedowns off of a certain side. And I think, obviously, you want a corner man to levy that criticism and tell you what to do, but it's it's easier said than done. And Max's takedown defense obviously was on point. You know, the few times when he had to sprawl to stay upright, he was able to do so. He used the fence to his advantage. The one time Frankie did take him down, he wasn't able to do anything with it. But I do believe that in the UFC in 2019, it's going to be really hard for somebody to match the frame and the length of Max Holloway. We were excited about Brian Ortega because he could match some of that size. I guess Zabit Magomed Sharipov can match some of that size. But I think the big frustration for Frankie Edgar is that he fought a pretty good fight and and he still lost all five rounds. And I think you have to talk about the size at some point in time as as a huge factor and just something that Frankie probably wouldn't be able to over, be able to overcome if these guys fought ten times. Well, you know, you brought up John Jones and everyone talks about his size. 
there's a lot of big guys out there, John. There's a lot of guys with great size, but can they use it? That yeah. is the question. Max Holloway has the size and he's able to use the skills necessary to get the win. So it's not just range that's the factor. It's Max Holloway and his ability to utilize that range, to utilize that jab, to know how to uh, you know, slip back and, and, and land a counter shot when he needs to. Uh, and yeah, it, it just seemed that as soon as he got his range and was, uh, dominating that aspect of the fight, Frankie Edgar just couldn't get anything going. So now when you're trying to shoot, when you're trying to land shots, it throws everything off. And I'm sure that, you know, as a quarterman, it can be very frustrating, but uh, the feel of a fighter, once you're out there and you feel like you can't just get a handle on the guy and you feel like yeah. the guy's just longer than you think. And every time you try to get in relatively close he's throwing a jab at you or he's countering or he's slipping his head off it throws the whole game off and I think that's what Frankie um you know was experiencing and I think he said it best after the fight I, I think he said listen Max is just better I think he realized yeah. that after going fight especially one at the at the at the level pushment of a Frankie Edgar that when he says that the other guy was just playing better man that says a lot yeah, and I'm glad you acknowledge that in terms of Max Holloway because he really he's just such a special fighter, you know? I mean, the head yeah. movement defensively, right? Just perfectly evading Frankie Edgar's shots and there is only 1 inch discrepancy in reach. I mean, it certainly felt like a lot more than that, but you heard Holloway say if you watched our post show on ESPN Plus strategically lowering his level for much of this training camp and that was obviously effective for him. All right, so we could sit here and if we had to do write an entire A block on, on Max Holloway and how great he is, we could certainly do that. But in the nature of time, I do want to spin it forward when it comes to this Alexander Volkanovsky fight. I think it's ambitious to think it would happen October 5th in Melbourne, Australia. That is not very far from right now. So I just don't see that happening. I think Madison Square Garden in November, even the year-end pay-per-view in December is more likely. But Alexander Volkanovsky is the unquestioned number one featherweight contender. And I do think Holloway has the appetite for the fight. and He's excited to beat this guy who's on this extended winning streak. I think it's a very competitive fight, Kenny. I think Volkanovski, the former rugby league standout, I think if he gets Max Holloway up against the fence, he he's strong enough to pick him up and put him on his ass, you know? So I think there are a lot of layers to this fight. He's got a ton of power on the feet. Uh, I, I expect Holloway to be about a two-to-one favorite, but I think Volkanovski absolutely is a live underdog. And I think with respect to probably my favorite fighter on the roster, Frankie Edgar. I think a Holloway-Volkanovsky fight in 2019 is more competitive than the championship fight we saw Saturday night. Listen, it's the fight that needs to happen. You look at everything that both those guys have accomplished. That That's the fight to make. It's clear. Um, a lot of people argue that Volkanovsky should have got the first shot uh, over Frankie Edgar, and, and they certainly have a case. Um, I think Volkanovsky hits a little harder than Frankie. I, I think that... Um, you know, he's going to perhaps be a little bit stronger inside the clinch. But as far as technique is finishing the takedowns and things like that, you know, I think Frankie's going to be superior there. Um, I think he might have a little bit more experience when it comes to uh, mixing some of the strikes together. Uh, but I think this was a great blueprint for Max Holloway to see how he would do against a, 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 a guy like a Volkanovsky. And I think right. 
when you're starting to amass this kind of experience, it just makes it that much more difficult uh, for guys in the 145-pound division to beat a Max Holloway. You're going to have to throw something uh, that's very unique and very different style-wise than a Max yeah. Holloway at this point uh, because now he's just he's getting so much experience, and he's only getting better. You talked about him lowering his level change. That was evident to start off the fight. He needed to do that against the uh, shorter Frankie Edgar and a guy who was going to uh, attack with takedowns. Um, and it shows that Max Holloway truly is a martial artist. This is a guy who continues to get better, and that's bad news for everyone in that featherweight division. He was born December 4th, 1991. He is 27 years old. He is not yet 28. And he pushed out a great post sort of acknowledging Frankie Edgar and yes. how much he has meant to his career as a motivator and otherwise. And he also expressed his disdain for the, the GOAT conversations that we tend to have uh, as promoters and broadcasters and media types. I will say, my comments off the top of pay-per-view was that it's the greatest singular run in UFC featherweight history. I still think Jose Aldo can lay claim to being the greatest featherweight of all time. If you look at Conor McGregor's wins over Jose Aldo, Chad Mendez, and Max Holloway, Conor McGregor is certainly going to be a part of that conversation. But when you look at the totality, Kenny, of this Max Holloway run at 145 pounds, 14 consecutive wins, 13, and then a 149-pound a, a win, I guess that's considered a, a non-featherweight win. Uh, but nobody can touch this singular streak of Max Holloway's. And uh, I think Volkanovski's very very aggressive and he will try his best but uh you're right uh it's it's been pretty special that we've all gotten to witness this and he is uh potentially just getting started uh so as far as frankie edgar is concerned i don't think he's going to drop down to the bantamweight division i think the cejudo fight was really the only one that he had an appetite for because cejudo took out his teammate marlon marais but frankie also said kenny he's not going anywhere and this is a guy who made his ufc debut i think in 2007 he's been at this a long time um, but I don't think he needs to go anywhere. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it. I think Frankie Edgar is still very competitive in the featherweight top 10. I think this is the division in which he should stay. There are super fights out there, I think, potentially. Uh, your thoughts on Frankie Edgar moving forward as as active UFC fighter? Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I think Frankie Edgar still has a lot in, more in the gas tank to give. I, I think going five rounds against a guy like a Max Holloway says a lot. Uh, that was something that Brian Ortega and many others weren't able to do at 145 pounds. I think, right. um, you know, it, it says a lot about his durability at this point in his career. Um, I think Frank Giger is still very much a driven individual. He loves training. He loves fighting. Um, and uh, I think is a guy that could should consistently uh, be one of the bigger names in the 145-pound division as far as uh, a guy that the UFC can rely on to be a main event somewhere uh, at the right. very least, you know, uh, and one of these fight nights. So Frank Edgar is a legend. He will go down um, as one of the best to ever do it. Uh, and I, I do think that uh, he still has a, a lot more left uh, in, in, in his uh, in his gas tank. And I would love to see some some awesome fights in the future. And, and I think he's going to give that. And I think they're all going to be at 145 pounds. I mean, the co-main event coming up this weekend is Jim Miller and Clay Guida, right? Still getting a high profile slot at this yep. stage of their respective careers, not contender types. Right. And I, 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 I agree, man. I think Frankie Edgar headlining UFC fight nights and. Do yourself a favor, you know, go look at the featherweight rankings. Uh, the division is as healthy as it gets, mm -hmm. and there are a lot of big fights to head for Frankie Edgar. Uh, that's a tough moment, man, seeing his son Santino walk into the octagon, Ken Flo, as a father. That's about yeah. as close to crying on the air as I've come. But, uh, man, dude, Holloway, not a fucking scratch on his face, you know. I mean, not a scratch. 
that's what's so impressive, right, is to go five rounds and to not have any damage at all. This was such a welcome change because – and the other thing, to be frank, to be candid, was was the damage that he took in that fight against Dustin Poirier, John. I don't like seeing any fighter take that kind of damage. And when you have such a a fighter of such high quality and Max Holloway take that kind of a damage, not only was it impressive on the side of Dustin Poirier to what he did, but also it, it got me worried about his defense. And here he is. He came in a completely different fighter. I, I mean, his defense looked very good. He was in the proper range at all times. And this is a guy, again, in Frank Edgar, with a ton of experience who has knocked out a, a few great fighters in his day. And, and Max Holloway um, looked like he wasn't even a fight. He was fresh as a daisy. And as far as getting that turnaround in October, John, if he wanted to, I say he could. If they don't do it, it'll be probably because of the UFC side of things. Maybe they, they want another main event or another fight in there. But oh. I, I, I think he could do it, potentially, you know? That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that angle, the value of Holloway and Volkanovski as a headlining act on its own, right? Because that stadium show in Melbourne is going to sell out in minutes, right? Sure. Regardless of whether or not Volkanovski's in that co-main event slot. Certainly, that would bolster that as a championship doubleheader. But I think you're right. That is only 10 weeks from right now. In talking to Max on the post show on ESPN Plus, I didn't get the inkling that he mm. wanted to turn around for October 5th, and he has certainly earned the right to make that decision. Yes. I felt like it was interesting that after the fight on April 13th, he said he knew all along that he was going to be defending the featherweight title in July, right? And that wasn't all that long ago, right? right? And I know Tyron Woodley expressed concern to Max privately when he accepted the July fight. was like, dude, you just won five rounds with Dustin. You sure you don't want Hard a little bit round. more time? Right. Yeah. So... All right, well, Max Holloway, man, uh, just an absolute stud, and Frankie Edgar, a stud in defeat. We congratulate Max Holloway, and it is now time for the Ray Longo Minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. And the great Ray Longo joins us now live. Ray you were not in Uluka Sasaki's corner over the weekend, right? You were not in Far East Asia? Yeah, no. Yeah, I had sent uh, Aljo, I tell you, because uh, I think my long trip days might be coming to an end. Ooh, how about that? But that's, I wanna, that's breaking news. That's breaking news, yeah. I got so, a couple left, I guess. But I tell you, the last trip to Japan just jacked my hip up so bad that I was like, buddy, I'm sending you with Aljo. Yeah, <laughs> might be time to shred that passport. So, uh, uh, Uluka Sasaki, <laughs> rising, he goes down by north-south choke. Were you watching that fight live in the middle of the night or what? No, I didn't watch it live. I saw. Uh, I actually only saw the uh, the replay. I think he got kneed in the head, and then he got uh, put in that north-south. I mean, I think the knees, uh, you know, when rising, you can knee to the head on the floor. It was, it was pretty brutal. Oh, man. I'll have to read about that and maybe try to watch it after the fact. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so it wasn't just that he just he got knee. He went for uh, I forget what happened, but he took a couple of knees to the head instead of like now you got you know Kenny like the old days when you would just swing back to guard. Of course, yeah, you know, yeah. Now, now you now you now it's yeah you got to go old school with this stuff. Now Man. you got your head right there. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So uh, were you able to watch UFC 240? And if so, your thoughts on on Max Holloway and your guy Frankie Edgar. Yeah, it was, uh, look, I watched it, you know, man, it was hard, you know, heartbreaking at the end, man, when Frankie brought his kid in there. He said, you, you can see he's emotionally just, 
he's such a good dude, man. Even in the the, the uh, post press fight, uh, you could see just everything is heartfelt, and uh, you know he really wanted to win. And anybody could say that, but for some reason, when he's saying it, just it's different. He's just a good guy. Yeah. I think he's loved by everybody, and uh, you know, look, he made it, you know, somewhat competitive, but uh, just not enough. You know, Holloway's, uh, you know, a step ahead, and that that was it. But uh, you know, it's uh, it was it was a nice effort, and then, you know, for Frankie, I I still believe, and I think the only thing that I'm sad about that when I was watching it was like, you know, he's 37. Uh, Max is 27. Max is phenomenal. I love the guy. I mean, and I think Frankie, you know, even said that what a, what a true representative of the sport and everything else. But, uh, I just, I, I really would have liked to seen a 31 year old or a 32 year old Egner, Egner in there with him instead of a 37 year old. That, yeah. that, that's the only thing, you know, but with all the stuff that goes on and the waiting and postponements before you know you know you look you're 34 you turn around you're 37 so i would have liked to have seen the younger guy look like he might have slowed down a little bit but uh yeah. you know still you just it's just it more he's more a metaphor for life like it's like again it's not going to stop him he's always trying there was you know he was just i don't know it's just there was a lot in there right but, uh, and i do and i do believe kenny he's going to beat 90 percent of the yeah. other people uh, you know, I, he's just going to have a, he's going to have trouble with the upper echelon. When you see a guy in Frankie Edgar and you've been around him, you've been around his trainers, and you know this is a guy that when he says he trains for a fight, he's done everything possible to win that fight. This is a guy that doesn't cut corners, and he and him coming up, Frankie coming up short, I think is what makes it so difficult to see him lose. No, yeah, and like, and again, I think what you said is right. Like, yeah, he there's just no bullshit in that guy. I think you know you're not hearing anything bullshitty it's all sincere it's from yeah. his coming right from his soul and even when he said look I, I just feel like I let my team down they put a lot into it too like people could say that but I felt he really meant that and I know yeah. those guys so I know that's true anyway but that was just a, it was that was tough you know what I mean I think a lot of people were pulling for Frankie and uh yeah he's just a good dude and you know like again I do believe uh you know, he, he could beat 90% of the people out there. I really do. I don't think yeah. he, nothing's going to happen. But, I, like, what else does he want to accomplish? He was a champion. You know what I mean? So he's yeah, – he was a champion at 55. He's fought the best of the best. He's fought everybody. You know, it, it can only, you know, come down to, like, the thrill, the love of competition. And, you know, it's a nice paycheck. And he's got a family I'm sure he wants to take care of. But, I mean, he's, he's another guy. He's just got – that's a Hall of Famer for sure, and he's got absolutely nothing to prove. But right. I do believe he loves competing. And, but yeah, Kenny, I think what you said is right. You know he's doing everything, and that's kind of the – in a way, that's a good thing, and it's a sad thing because I just yeah. don't think it was enough, no matter what he did, to beat a, a Max Holloway, who's just a phenomenal fighter. And his length and the way he can you know, maintain his distance and range is phenomenal. His takedown defense was great. It was, it was just it was, it was good. I enjoyed the fight. It was like bittersweet, but uh, it was good. Edgar's last shot at an undisputed UFC title was when he was 31 years old, believe it or not, in 2013. He did fight Jose Aldo at UFC 200 in 2016 for an interim belt. 
But to your point, Ray, in terms of Mark Henry and everybody on down, this is just going to be a tough one that's going to uh, have a lasting effect because it had been six years since they had fought for an undisputed belt. Frankie Edgar is the first fighter he ever trained. He's family. And uh, I think you just really saw, to your point off the top, uh, how badly they wanted this one for legacy and everything else. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And what is, I, I think I texted you when I was doing good when his kids came into the octagon. I just... Yeah. Yeah, I just started crying. Like, that was just, tough. I don't know. It's just uh, uh, you know, for anybody, but more more so for him. But you know, the, the stuff with uh, you know, your family is always always rough. You know, especially when they start flashing. If something bad happens to you and they flash, you know, like off screen, and you see right. your wife or somebody, your mother or father, it's it's naughty, man. But but you know, he's a good dude, and like again, I think he I think he told you exactly the way he feels. He. He's not going to let it deter him. He'll be back. Like, again, that question to me is, you have absolutely nothing to prove. You like fight. I'm sure, like, I, I do believe, you know, he's just a bad fight for anybody who's not willing to really get pressed. I mean, he never stopped trying. Right. Oh, he was. And he was landing in combos, you know. He was catching them at the, you know, at the end of the, at the end of his combos. The right hand over the top looked good. He was leg kicking just, you know, not enough. That's, that's it. It was a, it was a good fight. And, um, yeah, no, he's, uh, his legacy to me is already in cement. Yeah. All right. Before we let you go, we teased it last week. Chris Weidman indeed getting the main event slot at TD garden in Boston, (laughs) Massachusetts against Dominic Reyes. And they've gone back and forth a little bit on social media, but I I expect it to be pretty civil between those two. But I will say Ray, and I'm not saying this to be funny, you know, me as a Boston guy, uh, who bleeds green and everything else. I feel like it's my civic duty to try to get all of New England like against you guys in this fight. I really do. (laughs) Wait, hold on. Wait, 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 Kenny. I think this way he's he's, Kenny, can you can we reel him back in, Ken? He's He's, I wanna like can I do you even know who Cole Yastrzemski is? You know we're goddamn right. Number eight in your fucking program. you ever see the, the, the special ones? I love those guys. I was a big Yaz fan. Tony yeah. Canigliaro, you know who he is? Of course. Tony C? Come on. Uh, just, but hey, and I love, I love Team Sarah hey, listen, Longo. I'm going to say something on the Yeah, I love Boston. So you, I, I say you uh, can't uh. turn Boston against me. <laughs> okay. And my right. baseball yeah. acumen from like 1950 to 1980 will blow anybody away. Anik, he just killed you with kindness. How do you counter that? How do you counter that? That was actually a great reply right there. (laughs) Dropping Yaz up in here? Jesus. I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you a quick funny stuff. Quick funny story. I had a, years ago, this is 30 years ago, I knew a guy who was a scout for the uh, Cardinals when Bob Gibson was pitching. So we'll go maybe even way back because he's way older than me. I don't think he's around anymore. But, you know, he would say they would always bring in the prospects and, uh, have him talk to the team psychologist. And one guy that didn't make it uh, for whatever team of what he was scouting for, but went on to become somebody really pretty big was Jim Rice. He said wow. they turned him down because of a site. Yeah. Oh, like again, it could be bullshit, but obviously Jim Rice was a great baseball player, but uh, Ted Williams, buddy, ever hear, did you ever just listen to that guy talk on how he broke everything down and, look at his books on how to hit baseballs. It's oh, phenomenal. absolutely. I was a sports you radio. Are not, you will Boston. not turn Boston against me. <laughs> I was a longtime sports radio guy in Boston. You can be sure I, at one point, did some extensive homework on Ted Williams. And 
Ken Flo likes you dropping that Jim Rice, right? Because that was probably his his prime as a Red Sox fan, the 1980s, number 14, Jimmy Rice. All right, well, I won't try to turn all of New England against you. Uh, I can't promise, though, that I haven't already reached out to Dominic Reyes, you know? I mean, dude, I, like, it's, it's, it's very interesting because mixed martial arts <laughs> – is such a global sport that it's like, oh, you take the Long Islander and, you know, he can drive to the fight in Boston and, you know, but I don't know. I just, the, the New York-Boston rivalry is such that I'm having having a little bit of a hard time with this and I'm not. <laughs> hey, you know, I heard through the grapevine, I don't even know if it's true, that Dominic Reyes was out on Long Island this weekend. Evidently, he went to, uh, I think he went to Stony Brook. He played football. Oh, that's right. Yes, he, he did. Friends. Yep. Isn't that it, that was crazy. Yeah, somebody called me and said I think he was in Franklin Square or something. So, oh wow, uh, so he's got inter- some ties as a, well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's at the, you know he's no. already doing his recon work. Yeah, well, we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm very curious to see uh, that fight. Obviously, I mean, definitely a challenge on your hands, and uh, also excited to see you know who will have the crowd. It'll probably be Wadman, much to my dismay, but we'll see. Oh. Boston, I love you, Boston. There you go. Logo trying to get it on his side. All right, man. Uh, we'll have a great week. Unless you got anything else, we will uh, we'll let right. you go uh, hit pads and push sleds. That's it, man. I love it. I will uh, talk to you guys next week, and you guys always make my Monday morning. Get up, Ray. Have Thank a good you, one, buddy. man. Right. Take it easy, guys. There he is, Raymond Peter Longo, staple of the Anakin Florian podcast dating to episode one. Oh, you know I'm going to stay on this just for a minute, Kenny, um, because you know I'm very impassioned about this. And uh, I get promotionally why Weidman is headlining in Boston. And I have a good personal relationship with the guy. I consider him a friend. Um, but I really hope Dominic Reyes uses this as a rallying cry and tries to get people to, to recognize that you don't walk out as a New Yorker in TD Garden and uh, have the crowd eaten out of your hands. You know, I, I feel you, man. I feel Chris is a good dude, man. But you're yeah, he's a great guy. Great guy. Like, listen, this is my town. Yeah. You don't want New Yorkers in there. And, and it's pissing you off, basically. But Ray had a nice counter. He had a nice counter. And uh, I don't know. We'll see how we treat him in the, over the next few weeks. I promise I will take the high road if I am interviewing Chris Weidman inside the Octagon at TD Garden after the fight. But if that entire crowd is showering us with bo- with booze at that point in time, I will not mind. <laughs> All right. You're brutal. UFC 240. Brutally honest. UFC 240, Holloway versus Edgar. Let us get back to it. I guess we exhausted the main event enough. Chris Cyborg, I thought she looked great on the feet uh, against Felicia Spencer. One thing that a lot of fans were talking about was how maybe the narrative becomes Felicia Spencer on the broadcast, Kenny. But I do think that she's a big part of the narrative in this fight. She absorbed more significant strikes from Chris Cyborg than anyone has in Cyborg's Hall of Fame career. I think Spencer is a big game player, right? She's a full-time Algebra 1 teacher. So I think once she's able to not be teaching full-time, and by the way, she teaches at a virtual school. So the summer's her busiest time. So she's not... I mean, she's having a full training camp, but imagine she's a full-time fighter, what she can do. I just think she has a lot of intangible qualities, not nervous at all fighting Chris Cyborg, that are going to really help her going forward. Featherweight rankings don't even exist right now for the women, so I don't know exactly what the future holds. But your thoughts on the co-main event and and Chris Cyborg's rather dominant performance uh, in my mind? Uh, listen, I thought it was a, a very impressive demonstration of heart uh, by both women, first of all. Um Felicia Spencer took a lot of big shots from Cyborg. 
um, she never let that intimidate her or throw her off her game. And I think the intimidation factor from Cyborg comes in the form of her power, of her punches. And I think a lot of uh, fighters kind of fold after that. Felicia Spencer was not one of them. Uh, Cyborg really had to, you know, continue landing shot after shot. And I think she was a little bit surprised after that first round that she was still sticking around there after all the damage that she put on her. Um, but uh, I think this was another dominant performance from Cyborg, one of the greatest female fighters that we have ever seen. Um, and she was, you know, just dominant. She was able to stop a lot of those takedown attempts uh, and and come right back and, and, and stay in this fight consistently uh, putting out damage on Felicia Spencer, who um, continued to press forward herself. And I thought this was a great fight uh, because of that. Cyborg's still just 34 years old, so even though maybe she has lost a step, even though I can wonder aloud how competitive a rematch with Amanda Nunes would be, I still think that Cyborg is, is you know, number two in the world for sure, and certainly yeah. proved that against the very game Felicia Spencer. I think it's interesting to see where Cyborg goes from here, you know, because I think other than the Nunes fight in the UFC, I'm not sure what exactly there is for her. Mm-hmm. And if she does, as Dana White seems to suggest, maybe want to just prize fight and make the most amount of money right now uh, and have some fights that maybe aren't Amanda Nunes, I think there are going to be a lot of opportunities for her um, outside of this division. But one thing about the broadcast, I will say the notion that there would be any promotional narrative that's discussed beforehand is absolutely ridiculous, right? Chris Cyborg was a huge favorite. She got opened up with a cut early. Felicia Spencer was making her second UFC start against this world beater. And sometimes the broadcast sort of deviates in that direction because you're so impressed with the fighter who is losing. But if you go back and listen to the broadcast, I thought Cyborg had a 10-8 in round three. Right. I thought she was sharp as hell on the feet. I didn't think Spencer won any rounds, um, but seeing someone perpetually move forward in the direction of Cyborg's haymakers and be able to eat them seemingly without issue was very impressive. And as such, I think at times we chose to focus on that. How dare you, sir? The, t- Twitter Twitter knows all. They know everything about how the broadcast uh, works and how the UFC works together with you to create this very specific right. narrative. Right. It's crazy. And to think, too, that in Cyborg's last fight, and thank you, I mean, the the criticisms that I take most seriously, and I do love the social media feedback, but when Ken Flo's like, dude, I think you guys were way off in that fight. I'm like, fuck. (laughs) Um, But no, I mean, it was the last fight on her contract. We didn't play up that angle necessarily, but um, hopefully we gave her enough credit. Uh, And if not, please go watch the post show on ESPN Plus because uh, we were heaping praise her way and she deserved all of it. All right, we'll see what's next for Chris Cyborg. And the other thing, too, I know Felicia Spencer didn't get a bonus, um, but hopefully this result and this performance maybe allows her to get a raise or a new contract and allows her to put the the mathematics aside because she did stay stay with us on Thursday, Kenny. Some people want to keep teaching, right, or keep doing what they're doing. Stipe doesn't need to fight fires necessarily. He wants to keep doing that. And Felicia Spencer doesn't. She doesn't want to teach. She wants to train full time. Yeah, 100%. And I will say this also in regards to the bonuses. You know, there's disclosed bonuses and then there's undisclosed bonuses, right, right, that fighters can make. So hopefully uh, the UFC did give uh, some extra coin to uh, a well-deserved Felicia Spencer. Um, You know, she she really showed a lot of heart. I look forward to seeing her in future fights. Yeah, I think so, too. And the one thing I just can't emphasize enough, just how calm, cool, and collected she was during this fight week, right? Not to say that Yana... Kunitskaya was intimidated by Chris Cyborg when she fought her, right? She took her down, took her back, I believe, at one point in time. But, 
man, Felicia Spencer was just so ready to go throughout fight week and she was ready to go on fight night. And, uh, we congratulate her in defeat. She certainly was walking out of there with her head held high and with her stock, uh, going in the right direction. Jeff Neal, Nico Price, Ken Flo, not sure if you saw this fight or not, um, but Nico Price is a wild man, and as such, I think a very difficult fight for guys in the top 15 because he's willing to get knocked out, and sometimes, even when you have a great corner man like Safe Saoud telling you not to brawl, sometimes it's easier said than done. Crazy moments in this fight, collision of heads. Jeff Neal did black out at one point in this fight, but ultimately was, ultimately was able to survive, get his first UFC bonus, and get uh, his fourth consecutive win in as many tries in the UFC. This was my concern for Jeff Neal when we were yeah. breaking down this fight on the podcast because Nico Price has this amazing ability to get you to brawl with him. Neil was the more technical fighter. He was the more skillful guy, and I think he took the harder path. Uh, to victory here and and it almost didn't work out for him so I think but in a lot of ways this is kind of a fight that you need as a fighter to go all right listen I I learned a huge lesson from this and if you learn a huge lesson from it and you still come out as the victor that's a great thing and I think for Jeff Neal he's going to look back on that he's going to be thankful that he could still win those kind of fights but he doesn't have to fight those kind of fights. He ended up getting it done against a very tough and large Nico Price. Um, It it was a great demonstration of heart uh, and and power, but um, I think Jeff Neal needs to establish himself as the more skillful guy from the get-go and not get caught into those uh, kind of fights in the future. Yeah, and I'm sure his head coach would echo all of those sentiments, and and the non-martial artist me would only counter and just say, you know, the longer you go with someone like Nico Price, I just feel like he... And it's not that Nico's this crazy, unorthodox fighter. You know, he's a pretty technical guy. He's well-coached. He's coachable. Um, But nonetheless, uh, your points are well taken, and congratulations to Jeff Neal. All right, just want to get a quick thought on... uh, on not only the fight between Armand Sarukyan and Olivier Aubin-Mercier, but your boy George St. Pierre as well. So Sarukyan, 22 years old, born in Georgia, wins by unanimous decision. This is a tough one for OAM, Kenny. He's lost three consecutive fights after that four or five fight winning streak. George St. Pierre was training with him as much as four times a week for this fight. He added four pounds of muscle mass to an already big lightweight frame. But he also felt like Sarukyan despite all of the UFC experience for OAM, was the best guy that he had ever faced. And I think this 22-year-old is going to be a real problem moving forward. Your thoughts on the fight on GSP being such a huge part of this training camp and it not producing the desired result. What can you tell me about uh, Sarukiana and Oban Mercier? Yeah, you know, I I think this was a fight that um, I I didn't like from the outset. I think I I talked about this on the last podcast and we broke things down on, on the Instagram live um, you know, and it's, this was a tough one because this was not a great matchup for, uh, OAM. I, I think it. that, yeah. And, and this is what the second or third fight in a row that I didn't really style wise. I didn't agree with the matchup. And I think that, um, you need to take the right fights in your career. Right. And, and listen, I've, I've certainly made those mistakes of taking the wrong fights at the wrong time, but um, you learn from this, but to do it two, three times right, in a row, right, uh, right. I don't know about this one. And and listen, you know, fighting with the or training, sorry, with a high level guy like a George St. Pierre is certainly going to help. It, it's not going to hurt you. However, you have to look at the style and say, is this the kind of guy that's going to help me for this particular fight? What is he going to help? What is he going to show me or give me that I can use for this particular fight? Um, right. 
you know, I could train with John Jones every single day, and, right. you know, right. at, at five foot nine, uh, you know, I don't know how much he's going to help me for my upcoming fights at lightweight. So you, you have to put it into context and I think right. it will help, but, um, you know, you, you have to get ready for that specific fighter. So, um, listen, uh, I, again, I don't want to take away from, uh, Yan's, uh, performance. This was a guy that, uh, was really persistent with this takedown. He was a little wild at times. OAM did have his chances to capitalize really wasn't able to do it at the right time. I, that knee was absolutely brutal. Uh, looked like yeah. he hurt him with it. Wasn't able to take him out. This is a guy who, this is a young kid who's very tough and is only going to get better. Um, and, uh, he gained a lot of experience in this fight going 15 hard minutes. Yeah. After going 15 hard minutes with Islam Makhachev and you hate to sit here and anoint somebody at 22 years old, but man, this Armenian kid, I'm excited to see where he can go. Oh. I think he's managed by our buddy, Danny Rube, I believe as well. So, uh, Maybe a future champion there for D. Rube, but congratulations to Armand Sarukyan and for OAM. Yeah, back to back to back now losses against Alexander Hernandez, Gilbert Dorino Burns, and Armand Sarukyan. All right, great show. UFC 240 is in the books. Congratulations to the bonus winners, Hakeem Dawadu, Jeff Neal. Of course, the flyweights turned in the fight tonight. Davison Figueredo, Alessandre Pantoja. Shout out to our buddy Derek Thompson on the UFC crew. He thought that would be the fight of the night. It was. Congrats to Eric Koch, successful in the welterweight debut. And Jillian Robertson, 4-1 of the UFC, four finishes, gets her first career TKO. Congratulations to Jillian, and hopefully there is a uh, discretionary bonus in the mail for her. All right, moving forward now, UFC Fight Night, Covington versus Lawler. We get to the pronunciation of the week. TJ, 5-7 and seven on the year, hit on Hakeem Dawadu last week. Next up, this Nigerian represents Fortis MMA, the team we just spoke about, light heavyweight. Six and one after losing his UFC debut in Philly earlier this year to Paul Craig, TJ DeSantis, of whom am I speaking? Kennedy and Juku. <laughs> in Juku. Are you trying to drop an Njokuani on me? Let's hear how the fighter says it. Kennedy and Zichuku. Kennedy and Zichuku. All right, so you got to ignore the second time he says it, right? Because he's slowing it down. But it's Kennedy and Zichuku. Final answer. That's what we go with on broadcast the first time he says it in Zechaku. TJ, you were close. You just left out a syllable there, I believe. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm going <laughs> to say that my lower mandible's injured. So, uh. all right. <laughs> By the way, did you like hearing your voice all over that UFC broadcast with those Felicia Spencer calls? Yeah, I like that. That was good. Uh, where's my check? I feel like I've, <laughs> I know it's a checks in the mail. I feel like you kind of undersold her chances a little bit on the podcast last week. You know, uh, I, I'll happily say I got it wrong. Um, she didn't win. She didn't have any business, right. you know, taking the scorecard right. by any means. But uh, right. Right. Heart, heart of a lion, there. Yeah. Did you, well, no, did you see I, her? Sorry, uh, TJ. I was going to ask. Did you see her going uh, five hard rounds on the? Uh, sorry, five hard, three hard rounds on the feet with Cyborg. Uh, I did not. I did not. Yeah. I thought that she could slow it down, maybe, and and survive. But I didn't. I didn't see her seeing the final bell and uh, pleasantly surprised. And I, I was like Joe Rogan after. Uh, you know, the, the second part of the, the, the second round going, I want three more. Let's go. Right. Yeah. And I'm not trying to throw you under the bus saying you undersold her chances because you're right. She did get dominated. But again, I think my biggest takeaway from the fight, at least on her side, was that she is so utterly unintimidated by the bright lights and fighting someone like Chris Cyborg that um, I'm very excited to see her next fight. And I think when you're a fighter like that in that spot, that's what you're hoping to do is make people want to see you fight again. And you can certainly count me uh, among those. All right, let us get now to the picks for UFC Fight Night Covington versus Lawler in the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. 
Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights! I'm gonna do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, main event challenge comes to you today courtesy of Mayrocky BJJ, MayrockyBJJ.com. Kids jujitsu classes all ages 5 through 15. You can go to the website for more details or call the gym to have someone in a gi answer your call. 424-292-8280. Kempfo, who you got answering the phones today at Mayrocky BJJ? <laughs> I will I will sit there. I'd rather sit there at the desk than, than have to train, I think. <laughs> we we got our guy Stefano Mota over there, our program director, doing a great job. Does the Thank program you, director buddy. wear a gi at the front desk or no? He does not. Sometimes. Maybe it's a sometimes. no-gi desk. It's a yeah, no-gi exactly. desk. The no-gi right. desk for the most part. MayRockyBJJ.com. It was 96-96 going into UFC 240. Ian Parker sweeps the main card. Dope. Five favorites, but they all cash. Also had Max Holloway by unanimous decision. Ken Flo had a pretty good week in his own right, four for five. But Team Anik wins the week, seven to four. Regains the lead, 103-100. Heading into UFC fight night, Covington versus Lawler. Ian Parker is back. Uh, good week for you, my friend. How you doing this Monday morning? I'm good. I'm glad we got the lead back. Uh, had a feeling that was going to happen. I don't hear too much talk on Kenny's end. And uh, I think because Kenny lost, he should be the one answering the phones at his own gym. <laughs> Listen, I got a question. Why the hell does he get three points? Didn't he pick a, he picked a, a, a favorite. I'm glad you brought this up because okay. a listener brought this up with me. Okay. And I think you might be onto something. So here's the deal. Okay. So right. when you pick a main event and a co-main event, you give us the winner, the round and the method of victory. Right. right? But this listener pointed out to me that there's too much incentive to pick fighters to win by decision because if you get decision right as the method of victory, you also get a point for the round. You see what right. I'm saying? Gotcha. So yeah, Max yeah. Holloway he gets a point for the win, a point okay. for the decision, and a point for the round. Because if I don't give him a point for the round and somebody else goes round two by TKO, you're getting an opportunity to cash three times, right? Gotcha. Yeah. But it's tricky because then if you get the method of victory right for a decision, you're automatically getting the round point. So right, because that's what happened last week with uh, with uh, Edwards, right? When I when right. I got the Edwards pick, I exactly. got the three. Okay. Right. right. So that's the way All we do right. it. And you know, if someone has a better idea, you can certainly hit me up, John underscore Anik on Twitter. Let's get to it though. Co-main event, New Jersey. Jim Miller minus one seventy five versus Clay Guida plus one forty five. Ian Miller extending his UFC record here, making his 33rd UFC appearance, number 28 on the other side for Clay Guida, who was submitted by Kenny Florian 10 years ago at UFC 107. You like what I did there? Guida did beat BJ Penn, though, in his last fight. That was UFC 237 back in May. Saw his fight with Diego Sanchez inducted into the Hall of Fame earlier this month. He should have a lot of motivation here, Ian, as underdog against Jim Miller. How do you see the co-main going down in Newark? <clears throat> well, it's um, it's an interesting co-main event. I think this is going to be a Jim Miller send-off, and I think it's the right fight for him. Look, uh, Clay Guida did not. He impresses us against Joe Lauzon, and then he, you know, then he loses to Oliveira, expected, and then he comes in against BJ as a huge favorite. And yes, he turns it on at the end, but at one point, BJ was handling the striking okay. That fight should have been finished way earlier. Uh, I think Jim's win over. In his last fight, it was way more impressive. It showed he still has something left in the tank. I think his striking is going to be better. I think he's better everywhere than Clay, minus the cardio. But Jim's never really shown us that's an issue. 
I think Jim Miller is going to get this done. Um, I don't, I don't see clay. He's going to bounce around, do his striking. This will hit the floor at some point. I think Jim's going to win this. I'll even say rare naked choke. And I think he'll lay the gloves down, call the career, get a win at home. I'm going with Jim Miller. Jim Miller, rear naked choke. What round? Oh yeah, I have to give that right. I'm gonna go round. I'm gonna go round two. <clears throat> Sorry, round two. Otherwise, round two, rear naked choke for Jim Miller. Ken Flo, he continues to battle Lyme disease. Uh, still able to stay active through it, but it has not been easy for Jim Miller over the last few years. That said, this is going to be his fifth fight in 16 months, coming off a quick win over Jason Gonzalez. That was April 27th. Close fight in my mind on paper, Kenny. What do you think about Guida and Jim Miller? Yeah, I think this is an interesting one. I think it's a, a match that is well made here between two guys who've been around the game for a very long time. You know, um, if if someone's going to win the wrestling battle here, I think it's probably going to be Miller. I think Miller is, is certainly the better striker in the clinch. But Clay Guida has a way of just throwing everything off with his unorthodox style and rhythm. Uh, and it can it can really pose problems for Jim Miller if he's expecting your traditional striking approach. Um but um, I agree with Ian here. I think Jim Miller will get it done. Uh, I'm not sure if he gets the finish here. I'm going to go with a Jim Miller decision uh, on Saturday. Jim Miller by decision. See, Ken Flo already thinking now, hey, man, you yeah. give me the round point for the goddamn decision. Go and I'm sure there's an algorithm that would suggest. And we do have somebody on Twitter, and I apologize that I don't know his name, that is tracking all of these results in the main event challenge. And Brad, I do believe Brady there's Miller. probably Brady, Brady Miller. Miller. There you go. I do believe yeah, there's Brady. an algorithm out there that would exist that would suggest that long-term maybe picking when we're forcing you guys to pick by decision uh, is actually the way to go, in which case we would have to tweak the scoring system for 2020 if the podcast still exists. Of course it'll still exist. Are you kidding me? Started yeah, in 2015. Just. All right. Main event. Former UFC interim welterweight champion Colby Covington minus 230 against the former undisputed champ Robbie Lawler, who is plus 190. We will need the round and the method of victory. We did conduct a quick poll at Anik Florian Pod this morning. At last check, about 1,510 votes. 63% of the masses like Robbie Lawler as betting underdog. Ken Flo Covington back for the first time since winning the interim belt at UFC 225 last June. That was his only fight in 2018. So I think a lot of people forget just how damn good this guy is because he just hasn't fought all that often. Right. I believe Covington deserves the distinction as the betting favorite. The question is, Flo, does he get it done against Robbie Lawler? Yeah, and he's got a style that really could pose a lot of problems for Robbie Lawler. Uh, Colby, when he decides to go out there and wrestle and grind you down, is going to be difficult for anyone in the world. Um, he's big, he's strong, he's fast. Um, he has a tremendous chin as well. If he does get in trouble, um, and I think he needs to do that early on. He needs to fight a very similar fight to how he fought Rafael Dos Anjos. And I think if he's able to do that, it could go very well for him uh, and he could pull off the decision win. Um, Robbie Lawler, though, I think that if we see the Robbie Lawler that came out against Ben Askren, I think Colby Covington could be in some serious trouble. Uh, Lawler can certainly crack. He'll have the speed advantage with his hands. This is a guy that also really knows how to wrestle, and he's not as small as Rafael Dos Anjos. This guy is a lot bigger for the welterweight division, and I think he's been in a lot of great fights. We forget his battles against guys like Johnny Hendricks and Rory McDonald. Um, you know, Carlos Condit, the guy is an absolute legend, a, a for sure Hall of Famer, in, in my opinion. Um, and a, a guy who I think, you know, if Colby 
gets a little cocky or doesn't have his hands up or isn't circling to the right side, I think can really get in trouble early. Um, I think Robbie Lawler gets it done. Um, I'm going to go with uh, TKO in round three. Round three TKO for Robbie Lawler, the pick to click for Ken Flo, who brings up a lot of salient points there, Ian Parker. Robbie Lawler, was that a sneeze? Yes, I apologize. Bless you. Robbie Lawler was in the shape Thank of his you. life, Kenny. Absolutely was yep. in the shape of his life going into that Ben Askren fight. That was UFC 235 back in March. I'm not trying to take anything away from Ben Askren. I'm just not sure there's much of anything to read into that result on the Lawler side at all. I expect a prime Robbie Lawler here. Uh, Ian, what do you think about Robbie Lawler and his chances to spring the upset and prevent Colby Covington from getting that shot at the undisputed title? I am surprised that this uh, Robbie's as big as a dog as he is, even though yeah. Colby interim, non-interim, whatever it is. I want to throw out a couple of facts here. Colby Covington, his last four wins, Brian Barberina decision, Dong Hyun Kim decision, Damian Maia decision, Javier Dos Anjos decision. All right. Here's my issue with, and listen, Colby's done what he's had to do, and he's done a great job marketing himself, regardless whether it's, you know, the good guy, the bad guy, the face, the heel, however you want to call it. I think the level of competition may pose a little bit of a problem here. His biggest opponent has been RDA, and Robbie has fought way higher than RDA, even though he did lose to him and lost by decision. I think this is a bad matchup for Kobe. I think Kobe against, has fought guys that he is bigger than or stronger than in wrestling. Robbie's takedown defense is phenomenal. He's a good wrestler in his own right, to Kenny's point. He's definitely going to be the better striker here. And I think, John, to your point, there wasn't a lot to read with the loss against Ben Askren. But the one thing I do want to mention that fight is that he stopped the takedown and he picked Ben and powerbombed him on his fucking head. And no one has done that to Ben Askren. You know, if you talk to people that have wrestled with Askren, they say it's like messing with a silverback gorilla. And Robbie picked him up like it was his child, you know? So I don't know if, if Kobe is going to present or shoot in in a different way that Ben possibly could. I think Robbie keeps this fight standing, and I do think he could finish this fight. Um, because Kenny chose round three, I got to go either lower or higher. I'm going to go Price's right style, and I'm going to go round two and say that Robbie Lawler gets to finish in round two. All right, a couple underdog plays there on Robbie Lawler, and we did throw that poll out on Twitter, and I think some fans suggested that it was more of a, of a popular vote or a, a vote that was sort of rooted in popularity. But a lot of people who I know are voting in that poll are sharp handicapping types who certainly see some value uh, in Robbie Lawler this weekend. Ian Parker, great stuff, my man. We will talk to you uh, in less than seven days. Thanks, bud. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. All right, there he is, Ian Parker making the picks on the main event challenge. We got to get out of here. Thank you all for listening. There is a slight chance we are off next Monday, August 5th. We are trying to find a window that will accommodate all schedules. Um, If we are back, we will certainly preview UFC fight night from Uruguay. Liz Carmouche getting a title shot against Valentina Shevchenko. If not, you can be sure we will be loaded up the following Monday, August 12th for UFC 241. Cormier versus Miacic 2. We'll also have live coverage on Anik Florian Pod on Instagram uh, on most Saturdays now moving forward, at least for a little bit, uh, on fight day. With that, enjoy UFC Fight Night on ESPN this weekend. Don't forget prelims at noon, main card, 3 p.m. Eastern. Ken Flo, what time are you hitting those beautiful gray mats today at Mayrocky BJJ? Uh, oh, oh, I'm there in an hour. All day. I'm there in an hour. Fucking te- teaching, day. teaching at noon. Noon, yes. So if you want a picture... <laughs> <laughs> Kids go over Don't there. interrupt his training schedule unless you're <laughs> telling him you listen to the Anakin Florian podcast. All right, That's Kevin, right. Well, have a great training session today. 
for TJ DeSantis and Ken Flo. John Amsan, so long for now. Have a great week, everybody. Enjoy the fights on Saturday. We'll talk to you next week. Go fuck it later. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to DeSantisProd at gmail.com. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and Wagering Week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.